0: All right, really good to see you here this morning. I'm glad to be here. We're in part two of a series that's called Set Free. Last week, we were talking about being set free from enslaving lies, enslaving lies. This week, we're talking about being set free to change, free to change. We're gonna start with a unusual sign. Perhaps you've already seen this somewhere, but here's a lost dog sign, lost dog, $100 reward, blind in one eye, missing one leg, and one ear, recently castrated, answers to the name of lucky. (laughs) Lucky, lucky to be alive. But actually, as you ponder that for a moment, there's another way to look at it, not just lucky to be alive, lucky to have a master that loves him enough to pay a price to find him when he's lost. And I totally identify with this dog because I'm pretty messed up too and I have a master that loves me enough to pay the price to make sure that I am set free and not lost. So maybe today is a good day for you to be reminded again that you were loved, loved that much And maybe you've been telling yourself, I'm so messed up, God could never love me, and I'm here to tell you that is not true. God loves you and doesn't want you to be lost, and I don't know whether you've just got one leg or missing an ear, and we'll just stop there. Uh, But He loves you, and He is a master who wants you back, turned back to Him. And so we're going to be talking all about that together today. So in today's episode of Set Free, the first thing we learn is this, and believe it or not, we're already jumping to point number one. How, how often does that happen this quickly? Point number one is this, a full view of God's mercy will change you. A full view of God's mercy will change you. Now what I'm about to show on the screen is a truncated version of Romans 12:1 and 12:2. Now the whole communion thought today was on Romans 12:1. So I'm truncating two verses now to highlight a thought. We're going to be looking at both of those verses in its entirety in a moment. But first, let's focus on this thought. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I highlighted two words for you there. View and transformed, which reminds us of the point a full view of God's mercy will change you now. We're only looking at two verses out of this long theological letter that Paul wrote to the Roman believers that we call this letter Romans. It is like this Magna Carta of what it means to be Christian, the theology behind it. And so I'm going to boil down the first 11 chapters of Romans into two sentences because we're building off of all of the first 11 chapters to get to this verse that says, Therefore... So in view of this, in view of all of this in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and what is the this? Here's in two sentences. We have been completely ruined by sin, but God's perfect remedy is Jesus Christ. So that's why we identify with lucky. We're so lucky that we, although we are completely ruined by sin, God sent his son. He loved us so much. He sent his son to be the perfect remedy for us, to bring us back into fellowship, a personal relationship with God himself because of what Jesus did for us. I'm going to read a story. Um, Last week I mentioned I'm at the start of a book. I'm I keep quoting it even though I'm saying I don't know if I want to recommend it yet because I haven't finished it. That's kind of where I'm at. But this is a book by Pastor J. Kim and its title is Analog Christian. Here's a personal story about his teen years. I was rebellious in my early teenage years. I'll spare you the details, but I caused my single mom much grief at the time. Once, after an especially bitter argument, I screamed profanities at her hopped on my bike, and rode about four miles down an expressway to a friend's house. This was in the early 90s, before cell phones and the Find My Friend app. For hours, my mother had no idea where I was. As a parent, I can imagine the fear and anxiety I must have caused her that day. Eventually, my friend's mother came home from work and asked me, when I was being picked up, I told her I wasn't. She called my mom, and about 30 minutes later, she came to get me. As we drove in silence, I sat with an internal dread at the fate awaiting me once we arrived home. As soon as we stepped in the door, I went to my room and braced myself for what was to come. My mom was furious, and I knew it. She still hadn't spoken a word. I heard noise coming from the kitchen, followed by a familiar aroma. A short while later, my mom walked into my room and quietly asked me to join her at the dinner table. A meal was laid out, we sat down, then a simple invitation. Eat. So I did. The silence continued. I kept my head down and tried to ride out this tension, eating quickly and hoping I could get back to my room in one piece. My heart was pounding and I was consumed by a sort of primal desperation for self-preservation. Then my mom spoke in Korean, her native tongue. Jay, you are my son. No matter what you do, you will always have a seat at this table. There was a clarity in her eyes and warm conviction in her tears. In an instant, my desperate longing for self-preservation vanished, and I found myself transported to the deep and baseline core of my identity, that of a beloved son. Self-centric despair gave way to love. I stood up tears in my eyes, and hugged my mom. At this point, I was already a little bit taller and a little bit bigger than her, physically anyway. And even as my arms stretched wide around her small frame, it was her love, wider than east is to the west and deeper than north to south, that covered me. A full view of God's mercy will change you. I mean, what we just heard is a story that was transformative for this young man's life who eventually became a pastor. But this is just a glimmer of the amazing love and mercy of our Heavenly Father. Point number two, you will hold nothing back from God. Let's read these two points together. A full view of God's mercy will change you and the first change that takes place is this, you will hold nothing back from God. Now, if you're holding anything back from God, then obviously the corollary truth is taking place. You don't have a full view of God's mercy or you haven't focused there for a bit because you've been holding back. If you get a full view of God's mercy and you are looking into the full view of that mercy, you will hold nothing back from God. That's what Romans 12.1 is all about. Therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Means you're holding nothing back. Now, you've heard the expression moderation in all things. Just so you know, that doesn't come from the Bible. That comes from Benjamin Franklin. Okay, Benjamin Franklin talks about moderation a lot. And there's a lot of American believers, I'll say American, I'll say in our culture. Affected by Benjamin Franklin, thinking that you really don't want to get too radical about this spirituality thing because people will look at you weird. True. But you better want to be radical about this spirituality thing because we're not listening to Benjamin Franklin, we're listening to Jesus, we're listening to God. We're listening to God's word as instructing us through Paul who's teaching us. We need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices once we understand the full mercy that God has given us. So we got to figure out what this means. And guess what? You can't offer your body as a living sacrifice moderately. It's just, that doesn't fit. A living sacrifice is a radical idea. Now, we need to understand this radical idea. And a Jewish believer would understand it readily because their whole cultural background in the Old Covenant was that you worship God in a temple through dead sacrifices, not living sacrifices. The dead sacrifice was what you had to offer. Now, God didn't fully explain it all. I'm glad we didn't live in that era. Wouldn't worship be bloody? It kind of grotesque, you bring your perfect lamb and you bring it before the priest and you vicariously place your hand on the lamb and place all of your failures and all of your messes vicariously on the lamb and the priest does the lamb in and lets the blood go and this sacrifice teaches you that sin deserves death, sin deserves death, let me say it again, sin deserves death the New Testament's clear, that's still true from God's perspective sin has to be obliterated like cancer needs to be removed from the body or it will cause detriment death, so we have to remedy it by removing sin, it deserves death now The New Covenant was what the whole Old Testament, Old Covenant system was aiming for, even in hints of it as they were instructed. The perfect Lamb of God came. John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he said, to the gathered crowd. Huh? And Jesus didn't come to set up a throne immediately. That's still to come. He came to serve as the sacrificial lamb. To take upon himself all of our sin and take it away. Pay the penalty of death. The wages of sin is death. If you want to know what you earn, you earn death because of your sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ because he paid the penalty for us. And so he conquered our death and paid for our death in his voluntary sacrifice. And his was a dead sacrifice. Himself. Now in view of of that mercy, in full view of that mercy, Paul is urging us now, because Christ died for us, you should no longer live for yourselves, but live for him who died for you, and die to your sins, so that you can live for righteousness. This is Paul's words, describing what this is all about. And so we are to live a radical life of sacrifice, That is living as an offering unto God. And how do we live? We live to love God and love people by serving God and serving people in a new temple. The old temple is gone. Behold, we are bodily God's new temple. The Spirit of God now enters into the new temple, into our bodies, enabling us to live unselfish lives, a life of a living sacrifice by His empowerment, His character, His love, making a difference in our world bodily in literal actions of sacrifice, demonstrating that God is good because we're looking more and more like Jesus. That, what is, this is talking about, off your bodies as living sacrifices. The world says, forget God and serve yourself. Doesn't it? Just about everywhere you look, every commercial, every this, every that, forget God, serve yourself. Jesus says, forget yourself and serve God. God held nothing back. God gave his son for you. Jesus, God's son, held nothing back. He died for you. So the least you can do is live for him. Hold nothing back. Offer yourself to God. And what Jesus taught is that, and I trust him so much that I believe it's true, when you live such a sacrificial way, consistently, you're not missing out on life. You're actually gaining more of life. You're not missing out because you are stopped living for you. You actually gain his blessing in ways you would never anticipate when you live out this living, sacrificial way of living. You're either gonna believe it and try it, or you're not gonna believe it and you won't live it. That part is up to you. I believe it, and the more I live it, the more I see it's true. And the more I live for me and forget God, the more ugly I become and the less I like myself. Point number one, a full view of God's mercy will change you. Point number two, you will hold nothing back from God. Point number three, you will be set free from conformity. Set free from conformity. So let's read verse two, Romans 12, two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we often don't realize the power of this conforming pressure in our world. Let me just say that again. We often don't realize the power of the conforming pressure that we're living in in this world. Too often, our current culture is squeezing and shaping us into a sinful pattern, and we don't even see it happening. I'm hopeful to point in a couple areas to help us go, ooh, yes. One example. Screens have come a long way. First, screens were black and white. Then, screens were in full color. Then, screens were off color. Screens kept getting bigger and bigger, but then, they got smaller and smaller. And now these off-color screens are available 24-7 on demand and have become our enslaving pocket-sized idols. Don't become so tethered to a smartphone that you are no longer smart. No longer smart and stop thinking for yourself. We have been so habitually trained, we find ourselves reaching for a phone to unlock and look without even knowing why we are unlocking and looking. Here's a quote from Pastor Jay Kim. A few years ago, Apple revealed that the average iPhone user unlocks their phone 80 times a day. That's unlocks their phone 80 times a day. That also makes me nervous that they know this about us. They know a whole lot more than this folks. Why? Because much of life is the real world. Much of life in the real world is uncomfortable, awkward or boring, so we opt for digital escape. Anybody willing to admit that? We don't even know why we're unlocking it. We're just looking to the thing that we usually just go to because it just is sort of this little escape from the moment of boredom or little escape from the moment of, moment of stress or whatever. We just go to this, whatever it is that you go to. Um, and we unlock and look. We think we're free to do this. We think that we have full control of this phone. Don't be so fooled. Okay. Here's another quote. There's a whole lot more that goes with this quote. I'll just read this quote. But the digital world is not the real world and the screen is not a neutral party simply showing you things as they are, asking you to participate as you are. The screen is a carefully curated, algorithmically precise, active participant in the ruse. And it demands that we play along. What he is referring to is the phenomena which hopefully you've heard of that's huge, that artificial is now knows so much about us from our phone usage and our internet usage that it's feeding us precisely according to our weak patterns. And so what you see on your screen is fed to you. And in your weakness, you keep going towards this weakness. And so you think you're choosing, but you're not choosing. It's choosing for you. And it's shaping you by repetition and more repetition and more repetition and you're being conformed and squeezed into the pattern of this world. And it doesn't care which direction it's squeezing you. It just is using you to make money from all the advertisers, the more clicks, the more time, the more money for the, those who put the algorithms together to keep you looking and keep you looking and keep you going, tethered to your phone and shaped by the artificial intelligence that's way smarter than you. Amen, let's go. Um, it's heavy stuff. Now, God taught us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, science just caught up recently to God. um, And it's describing these repetitions of your mind as shaping. Science calls this neuroplasticity. But science has proved that it's true, that what you think in repetition actually grows in your brain and creates pathways of thinking, make it easier to repeat the repetition that you're repeating. And it's neutral in its scope. It can make you worse, and the same principle can make you better. So science just caught up to the power of repetition for renewing your mind, Or, in the negative, ruining your mind. Deshaping it into bad patterns, or reshaping it into healthy patterns. Neuroplasticity works either way. Okay? And these, we're living in a digital age where I believe that the conforming power of this world is stronger than it has ever been because of our usage. Now, what are our options? We could all just dump our phones and technology, but I'm not doing that. There's so much good there. There's so much help there. we got to figure out how to be careful to not be shaped in the negative, but to use these same tools to be shaped and help us to shape ourselves through God's Repetitions. Did you know that neuroplasticity is just a neutral term? You know what God's term was for the positive shaping repetitions? It's called discipleship. Because discipleship is nothing more than the positive repetitions of spiritual disciplines that have been described to us in Scripture over and over again. How you renew your mind is through the truths of God. And how you pattern yourself is through the repetition of these truths in your life. Which repetitions have more control of you? The spiritual disciplines or this world's squeezing pattern? That's what I wanted to talk about today. Now, now, Maybe when I use big words like discipleship and spiritual disciplines and neuroplasticity, it gets kind of confusing. So I don't want to be confusing. I want to take us to kindergarten. play okay? play is something that we understand how you shape play correct? Right? You mold it and shape it. I don't have time to do this all in front of you, so I shaped something this, this morning, okay? This little guy here, this is, you know, kind of advanced kindergarten material, right? It's going to be tough for you to teach a kindergartner how to shape Play-Doh to look like this, but when you're starting to teach your kindergarten how to shape Play-Doh, you, know, you just kind of go, right, and shape. Now, I want you to notice something with every shaping. If you look carefully, there's a fingerprint that matches the one who's shaping all over this thing. Ooh, that'll preach. <laughs> now, you can hide those fingerprints the best you can. But the easiest thing to shape is actually deforming rather than forming. It deforms, now in the next service I might actually do this to the little guy because I won't need him after I show him, right? I will deform the little guy. But for this I still need the little guy. And it's much easier to shape this thing into... And this is the first thing you teach a kid how to do it. They can do it. What is this? A snake. It's easy to make a snake. Kindergartens can make a snake. When you're being squeezed into a shape, you don't even have to try to be squeezed into the image of the serpent. You will be squeezed into the image of the serpent every time you just stop trying. But to be squeezed into the image of the perfect human being Jesus Christ who came to model what it means to be human while being the son of God. That's gonna take a transforming power through the Holy Spirit that renews you from the inside out. But it's also gonna take full cooperation on your part working together with the Spirit's power and influence to renew your mind to engage in the repetitions of what we call shaping influences. I've used the word discipleship, repetitions. Reading the word, memorizing the word, exposing yourself to truth. Which truth are you exposed to more often? Artificial intelligence that's exposing you to your weaknesses Or God's supreme intelligence and his thoughts that shapes you according to the image of Jesus. Who's winning the war with you? There's only, and there really is a war for your soul. Hello? This is your soul your mind, your will, your emotions. Hello? Your soul is being shaped. Any questions? Get it? If we don't get that, I don't know what to get. But now we need to take it to a level where we're going to do something about it. So would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, our God and Savior, when this conforming pressure squeezes us into a sinful mold and causes us to watch what we should not watch, Look up things we should not look up. Listen to what we should not listen to. Do things that we should not do. Say things that we should not say. Using words we use and should not use. Think of what we should not think and feel what we should not feel. Help us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. to quicken our spirit, to be aware we're off. Help us to quickly confess it and turn back to you for help. Thank you for loving us so much that even when we stray and even when we're lost, we are loved by you. We are so lucky. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to be looking at Set Free from Plan B. Set Free from Plan B. Come next week, hear more about that. Every one of us keeps going for Plan B. Now, Some of you have been hit between the eyes today. You're going to need some help. You're going to need some prayer. We have a prayer team to the left of the stage. Ask them for specific help. Ask them to pray for you or anything else that's on your heart. God bless you. See you next week.